Barron's is out with their list of 10 top stocks for the new year, and we've got some thoughts on what they came up with. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. To our listeners in France, congratulations on an incredible run. To our listeners in Argentina, who are we kidding? They're not listening. They're still <laughs> celebrating their World Cup victory. Um, so as they have done for a while now, Barron's Magazine has put together their picks for the 10 top stocks for the coming year. I appreciate the fact that Barron's led their article with their scorecard of the 10 stocks that they picked last year. The average pick is down around nearly 2%. That's still outperforming the S&P 500 by 10 percentage points. And we're not going to go through all 10 of these stocks for 2023 in great detail, but the tickers for all 10 are in the show notes of this episode, so folks can check those out. We can go into a few that we find noteworthy, but it is clear, Jason, when I look at this list, the folks at Barron's are very much taking a value lens approach to stock investing in the new year. And you see it in picks like Bank of America and Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, uh, it, it feels like investors, particularly this past year, uh, you know, we always say price always matters, and it feels like a lot of investors have sort of renewed their uh, belief in that sentiment, right? I mean, we we have for a long time not had to worry so much about valuation, and it, it has certainly um, taken center stage these days for obvious reasons. I, I do like that this is you know, their their pick. And I mean, this is this is these are ten stocks, right? And and we don't know how long ultimately. I guess they're really just judging themselves on 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 a year. Um, and so that doesn't really fully line up with the way that we do things here. But I mean, it, I, I do like that it's so well diversified. I mean, when you look at this collection of companies, you've got tech, you've got financials, you've got healthcare, you got home builders, you got airlines, you got entertainment. I think there's some commodities in there even. I mean, so it, it is, from that perspective, I think a really attractive uh, little collection of, of companies. And some, some I feel a little bit more um, bullish on than others, uh, but but yeah, I think it's fair to say that that they are they are looking at this through um, a very valuation tilted lens. I did smile at the fact that Amazon was one of their top stocks a year ago, and now that shares are down, call it forty five, fifty percent, fifty percent, it's yeah. on this list again. Sure. Just like sure. well, now, now it you know now that it's a lot cheaper, it's really a top pick. So I, I did sort of chuckle <laughs> at that. Well, it does feel like you've got some businesses in here that are far more proven entities than others, right? I mean, Amazon. I feel like we all have a certain level of conviction in. I, I mean, I've been an Amazon shareholder for 11, 12 years now, or something like that. And I mean, I, I you know, it just is a it's a a foundational part of my portfolio that I never even really give it a second thought that it's down 50% this year. I mean, of course, I follow the business. I, I want to learn why and what some of the headwinds or challenges the business face uh, faces may be. But I mean, yeah, generally speaking, I mean, it's been a tough stretch for Amazon stock. Like you said, it's down about 50% for the year. But you ask yourself, why is that the case? And 
you know, it's it's not a unique story in that we're seeing a lot of these stay-at-home stocks kind of come back to earth, right? I mean, it, it, it Amazon, I think, very much qualified as one of those stay-at-home stocks over the last couple of years. And so, it, it was easy to see the optimism perhaps got a little bit got a little bit out of control even for such a well-established business um, they clearly overbuilt they're dealing with a glut of warehouse space that they now have to to right size and they've been dealing with growth uh, sort of normalizing here over the last year versus what we witnessed uh, the previous two two years or so um, but again I mean you look at companies like Amazon and, and alphabet being another that they recommended um, to me these are just very obvious ideas in, in in this space today right i mean it, it feels like you know we talked before about how some of these companies are becoming more than just what they've been right we're talking about how we're sort of redefining the word utility for example like it's not just your power company and your water company anymore i mean these cloud provider providers are modern day utilities and for, so from that perspective alone i think you see something like an amazon and an alphabet and just the tailwinds that will recognize uh, in the coming years through AWS and Google Cloud, those are reason those are reason enough, I think, to own these businesses. But they also have so much more to offer, and so um, it does make sense to see those on that list. And I mean, the other one, I you know, Bank of America, I think, is a really interesting one because it definitely feels like it's set up to succeed given this rising interest rate environment. But you know, when you look at how the stock has performed this year, I mean, it's underperforming the market year to date in a time where I think many would have probably predicted the opposite, given what we know. I mean, we've been waiting for a while to see this interest rate environment start uh, changing, and 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 we know that that will ultimately have a good impact on banks' financials in regard to to the net the net interest income that they generate. Uh, but but this is this has not been a good investment this year. It's not been a great investment over the last three and five years either. Um, but back to your valuation point, Bank of America is trading at a discount uh, to to J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, U.S. Bank Corp on a price to tangible book value basis, and and so uh, perhaps they see uh, an opportunity there in the valuation as as well as the the bigger picture, so the favorable picture for these banks. And I think another thing to keep in mind with the Bank of America is, you know, you look to the efficiency ratio as a metric that can tell you how how well, how efficiently banks are operating. And that ultimately is just non-interest expenses divided by revenue. You want to see lower. Um, if you see over the last over the last quarter that they reported uh, the efficiency ratio was 62% and it's trending downward. But if you go back to 2019, that number was 45%. And so I think that really shows you there's clearly room for improvement for Bank of America on this front, and it feels like the trend is headed in that direction, uh, which which leaves me feeling like this could be this could be another good pick on their part. You mentioned the track record over the last few years for the stock that shows up in one of the other stocks on Barron's list, which is Medtronic, which really hasn't been a great stock over the last five years. But you know, you talked about how this group of stocks is pretty well diversified. And I think that in terms of sort of, I, I think you can say that in a couple of different ways, certainly by industry, but also by like, well, what am I expecting out of this stock? I think it's reasonable to have different expectations. You look at a, a company like Medtronic, um, which is so good at what they do in terms of medical devices. Um, and it's a dividend aristocrat. 
you know, yeah. and uh, and I don't own shares of Medtronic, but you know, th- that's one of those stocks where if you do, like, as long as you have your expectations in line with with um, what to expect out of the stock, I think you're in pretty good shape. I wanted to get your thoughts on Comcast because Comcast is on this list as well. It's a business we don't talk about all that much, but it seems like one of the knocks on Comcast has been the Peacock streaming service and relative to other streamers out there, lower adoption, fewer paying customers. Is Comcast, in your opinion, being unfairly dinged for that? I mean, I, I understand it's it's very easy to sort of, I mean, there it's a diversified business and some parts of the business get more attention than others. And I understand why Peacock gets the attention that it does. But I, I, I'm wondering if that's part of the reason it's on this list where it's like, Comcast is doing a lot of other things that make a decent amount of money. And yes, they want to get Peacock to the point of profitability, but you know, let's not unduly punish this company. Yeah, it feels, I don't know if they're being unjustly uh, viewed through that lens. It does, it does feel like they are being lumped together with all of the other streamers, really, more or less. I mean, you've got, obviously, Disney been, has, has been dealing with some headwinds in the space. And it, it feels like with Comcast, I mean, it's it's a tremendous business in that they have this very robust broadband offering. And yet, by the same token, its cable business is suffering due to, of course, cord cutting. And so, uh, enter Peacock. And Peacock, ultimately, we know, is is a... It's it's their streaming service, which it's, it's NBC-centric. Um, and, and it was never meant to be a Netflix competitor in that, oh, they're just trying to get as many subscribers and it's a subscription business and that's how they generate their money, right? I mean, of course, Peacock has a number of different tiers for subscribers to pay uh, from free to no ads altogether, or at least minimal ads. Um, But but it, it, it does feel like given the shift in the landscape, right? I mean, you're going from this cable centric media landscape to a streaming-centric media landscape. And I, I think that investors are starting to view Comcast through that lens. And I think that we see a lot of uncertainty still in that space as, as to how this is ultimately ultimately going to shake out and ultimately really how profitable it's going to be. And you kind of go back to Disney and the challenges that they're facing. And, and, and we talked about this switch from you know Bob Chapek leaving and, and Bob Iger coming back in. That's all fine and dandy, but what is Iger going to do differently? Because even though you've got new leadership in there that maybe is a better cultural fit and maybe people have more faith that he really is the right person to lead this business through this changing uh, environment, what ultimately is he going to do differently? Because we know that's been a key point of focus is Disney getting that streaming operation to to profitability, and not only profitability, but but you want to see robust, sustainable profitability, right? And and so I think that's the big question with Comcast right now. You've you've got the the advantage there in the pipes and how a lot of that information is being delivered to us. Uh, but beyond that, what it has done so well for so long, and in, in having that diversified offering and doing more than just being the pipes, having that entertainment offering, the cable business. There's just less certainty right now as to how the future of the streaming business is going to look, in, in particularly in the next several years. There's going to be some consolidation. There's going to be some spinning off of things. Um, and, and where Comcast uh, falls is, is, is kind of yet to be determined. 
And then I think the wild card with Comcast at the end of the day is it just has such a bad has such a bad reputation for customer service, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not a Comcast customer. I'm not a Comcast shareholder, but I I, it, I feel like I hear at least a story or two every week about someone's escapades with Comcast and how miserable they are as a Comcast customer. I think it's a sign of how bad the customer service at Comcast was. Go right. back five, seven years or so that. They have improved it. They have yeah. legitimately improved their customer service, and you're you're still hearing those stories. Um, one last stock um, before we wrap up: Madison Square Garden Sports, the parent company of the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers, is on this list. And yeah. I understand the valuation case when you look at where the stock is trading relative to the value of those two teams, but. I look at that business, and I only have one question, and that is, is Jim Dolan still running things? Because <laughs> any New York Knicks fan listening right now is nodding and saying, oh, yeah, one of the most dysfunctional owners in professional sports in America is still at the head of the org chart. And that, I don't care how attractive the valuation is, Jim Dolan still at the top of the chart makes me say, no, thanks, I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you raise a very good point. I think that's something that a lot of people should keep in mind is that even even if a business may present an attractive value proposition, there's more to consider. And leadership is certainly one of those things. Um, I, I, I think Elon Musk is probably a good example today of, of you could probably look at something like Tesla and say, man, I, this is a company that's really led the way and holds an, an enviable market position, but it's being led by this mercurial leader and you just never know what you're going to get. So, so there's a trade-off, and I feel like that trade-off also exists here with Madison Square. I, I, I do agree. I mean, you have to understand this is a ticket to ride with the Dolan family, and and as I say, every investment requires a certain leap of faith, and and there's probably a, a greater leap of faith involved with this one. Um, over any real stretch of time, this has not been a good investment. Um, that said, it's not to say it couldn't work out, but ultimately, if you're going to play that value side on an investment like this. It's ultimately about the value being realized, right? You need to realize the the true value of those teams. And as it stands, it doesn't seem like the Dolan family has any any inclination to let go of of those teams anytime soon. So then they have to realize that value other ways, right? And that's through that's through media deals, that's through ticket sales, whatever it may be. And and, and that that certainly could could be something that um, that that develops over time, but. But realize, and I'm with you. This is not this is not an investment idea that really attracts me because of that that Dolan leap of faith. I've just seen through time. I've heard pitches through time of this business, and I understand the logic. But we've seen how this has played out over the over the, over the past several years, and it just doesn't seem to be working. Um, so so for those reasons, as they like to say on Shark Tank, Chris, I'm out. Jason Moser, good talking to you. Yes, sir. Now that we've talked about stocks for 2023, let's talk about bingo cards for 2023. Jason Moser and Matt Frankel are keeping score on their bold predictions from the past year, and they've got new predictions for the year to come about mortgage rates, inflation, and the stock market. Before we get into how things are looking for 2023 and your bold 
predictions. Let's take a look back at 2022, this year that was. Let's keep you honest, right? And I think you're going to enjoy this segment because you did pretty well. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about what were your predictions for this year, 2022, and how did, how did everything shake out? Well, like you said, I did pretty well this year. Um, I, I'll, I'll run through my five predictions last year. I, I said that value stocks were going to outperform growth. Uh, they have by about 27 percentage points as of as of right now. So I, I'd call that one a win. Um, at the beginning of 2022, the projections had the Fed raising interest rates once or twice by a total of about you know 25 basis points. So I, I, I said the Fed will raise interest rates faster than expected. That definitely happened. I said home prices will rise by double digits again, which a lot of people thought was a crazy <laughs> thing to say, given what happened the year before. Um, so that went well. Um, home prices were up 13.5% year over year uh, as of the end of October, the most recent data. Um, I said crypto was going to have a rough year. And not like that I you know knew the FTX collapse was going to happen, but uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum both did pretty poorly. Uh, the one that I got wrong was I said SPACs were going to make a comeback, and uh, that's not even worth acknowledging. That one did terrible. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah SPACs have been a... Uh... You know that's that's been a disappointing um, a disappointing story for the year, and, and and honestly, I mean, in looking back at it, it's not terribly surprising. I mean, I I think with with SPACs, one of that's that's one of the bigger lessons I took away from 2022 is that while SPACs have have brought some very interesting companies to 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 the public markets and given investors the opportunity to 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 consider them um you know the downside is that they just have they bring so many of these companies to the public markets far earlier than they probably should be uh going public and 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 that ultimately you know that really plays into to the price that you pay and and so we've we've seen obviously many of these spacs uh dwindle and and it's not terribly surprising in hindsight when you when you look at the actual businesses and the numbers that they're recording it's not to say that they don't have bright futures but it it really alters the timeline right that that spac investment i think you have to you have to adopt you have to adopt a much longer time a uh, time horizon there in that investment um so yeah i mean a, a good lesson a good lesson learned from 2022 that i i certainly plan to take forward and, and you know you hats off to you i mean you nailed it right there i mean that you got a lot of things right i will jump in there and say listen the motley fool money Preview show last year as we were previewing 2022. Um, I, you know, I said don't be surprised if we have a down year in the market. The last down year was was 2018. Before then, um, and you know, the saying goes that one of every three years the market is down on average. Uh, and I think if you go all the way back to 20, uh, to go back to 2002. Not including 2022, we've had four years where the market was actually down. 2022 is, of course, going to be down as well. But, you know, I was saying the same kind of stuff, right? We're going to see some level of inflation, stimulus becoming a thing of the past, interest rates will be going up, and certainly that's all played out and the market has suffered for it. But hopefully 2023 will be a better year. No guarantees, but. You've got some bold predictions for us for 2023, so let's jump right into those. Uh, what is your first bold prediction for 2023? First one will be that, is that the Fed is going to get inflation in check, and I actually kind of amend that to think to say that they already 
have inflation in check a little bit more than the market's giving them credit for. And what I mean by that is if you see the headline inflation number, which last month was 7.1%, that's a year-over-year number. That's comparing it to November of last year. But if you look at the month-over-month inflation data, it tells a totally different story. Um, The CPI increased 0.1% month-over-month in November. Um, Even if you take out um, energy and you know, if, and look at just core inflation. Inflation it was 03 percent month over month. Extrapolate that over a twelve month period, and you know you've you've got less than four percent inflation. So I, I think inflation is already under control more than the market's giving it credit for. And with the Fed's actions, I think that's just going to get even more uh, apparent in the new year. Yeah, and it feels like they are not going to be easing up anytime soon, based on. Jay Powell's recent comments regarding 2023 and even going into 2024. Um, do you feel like there's the chance that they overdo it though with this rate policy? I mean, I understand the mindset, right? I think the worst thing they feel like they can do is to ease up too soon and then things get back out of control. Um, they feel like maybe it's a, it's a it's it's safer to go a little bit too far than not far enough. What do you, what's your take there? Kind of leads me into bold prediction number two is that we're going to see the Fed funds rate decline in 2023. Uh-huh. Um, I think because of prediction number one, that inflation is going to be a little more under control than the market seems to think right now. And I think that's going to happen toward the beginning of 2023 when we're really going to see the inflation numbers come down significantly. So I think the Fed's going to say, whoa, 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 we might have overdone it a little bit and start to pump the brakes. I think we're going to end 2023 with a lower Fed funds rate than we have right now. Interesting. That's fascinating, particularly given their comments in regard to uh, not trying to ease up until probably 2024, or at least I guess they said no no cutting of rates until 2024. Um, how do you feel like this all plays out for the market in 2023? Well, to be fair, they, they were saying the, say, the, the complete opposite at the beginning of 2022 that actually happened. Uh, so, take it with a big grain of salt, but with the market, I think the market's going to have a great year in 2023. Not just the, I'm not an eternal optimist. Most of my predictions for 2022 were pretty negative. Um, yeah. I, I think that 2023 is going to be kind of a year of a rebound um, for those reasons. They're going to get inflation under control. They're going to start cutting rates, I think, quicker than the market. And even they think they're going to right now. Um, I think the market's going to have a very strong 2023. There's a lot more that can go right than wrong in the market right now, and that's the first time I've said that in a long time. Do you feel like you know? It feels like what's going on right now with Fed policy, just the the economy in general, right? I mean, we're seeing the consumer. The consumer is getting into a tighter spot. I mean, I, I could never really figure out. You go through these bank earnings calls, and they talk about the consumer being in, in a great place, and, and certainly that narrative has changed here just over the last month and a half. I mean, I think I was looking at Bank of America's call, Brian Moynihan, back in October, talking about the consumer being in a good a good place, and and then you know a couple of weeks ago we saw the headline where Moynihan and, and Wells Fargo and others saying that they're starting to see the consumer. Uh, Become a little bit more stretched, um, and, and so it feels like to me we're going to enter 2023 with a lot of what's going on right now, and it leads me to wonder. I mean, do you feel like maybe the, that market performance? Do you think it'll be weighted more towards the back half of the year? 
I would say that that's fair to say. I don't think we're going to come like roaring out of the gate in January, February. It really depends on when that inflation starts to get under control. But having said that, I think we're going to see a very nice kind of rebound as we get into that back half of the year. As I don't think we're going to, no matter what happens with inflation, the Fed's not going to issue an all clear right away. It's going to yeah. kind of ease back into it. It's going to be a little while before we can kind of say that inflation is definitely under control. Um, so I, I think that's fair to say. I think I, I, a second half rally is more likely than a first half rally. Now I feel like bold prediction number four uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I you know I, I I would I would volunteer that this is probably the case as well. But you think that crypto will continue to be weak? Why is that? We're just kind of seeing like a domino effect from this FTX collapse. Um, I just saw news this morning that a lot of the 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 people who the celebrities who were on FTX commercials are now not only coming out and saying I was just a paid spokesman, I didn't really have anything to do with it. Now they're saying I don't believe in anything crypto. They were just it was just a paycheck for me. Um, so you're you're kind of seeing a lot of sentiment turnover, and a lot of you know it it kind of seemed like a house of cards in a way FTX did, um, and not just in terms of the business, in terms of kind of the effects it had on the public's perception of crypto because now you're seeing all these celebrities who for the past two years have been saying oh buy bitcoin buy this but it's the future and now they're kind of reversing course um i just think they're i don't see what the next leg up in the cryptocurrency market would be i don't see the i don't see a speculative speculative bubble coming back anytime soon i don't see i don't see interest rates going to the the point where money is essentially free uh to be perfectly yeah. clear I, I think the fed's gonna you know reduce rates cautiously. So I just think that the catalysts are all toward lower cryptocurrency prices going forward. Yeah, it does it does feel like we, it does feel like we have a situation here where you with what's been going on with with FTX and you know all of the other all of the other shakeout in the industry for what for what is a, still a very nascent Industry to begin with, um, and, and and I would I would say probably mostly f full of early adopters. You probably have a lot of people who have been on the fence in regard to crypto and in considering it as an investment and wanting to be a part of that. And they're seeing what's going on right now, and and that is just the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? They're like, oh well, I was on the fence before considering, but now no way, I'm out. The last bold prediction of mine is that mortgage rates are going to be below five percent by the end of 2023. That's that might sound like a the boldest prediction of the five right now. A lot of people might say, um, considering That's considering bold. what's happened um, in the market. I mean, mortgage rates were about three percent at the start of 2023. Um, they peaked at over seven percent. They've come back down a little bit. They're about 6.4% right now on a 30-year mortgage. So it's not that far from the below 5% target. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is, one, even if the Fed doesn't start cutting rates in 2023, like my prediction number two says, mortgages are very – they're supply and demand-driven. They're not, they're not tied directly to the Fed's rate actions. So mortgage rates can rise if the Fed's lowering rates and vice versa. Um, I think you're going to see – Right now, right now, there's no supply and no demand in the real estate market. The market is just terrible. Um, I think you're going to see, as inflation starts to come under control, lenders are going to be more willing to take on risks. Right now, lending standards are very tight compared to the past couple of years, which oft, often happens in times of economic uncertainty. But if we can 
get inflation under control and avoid a recession, you're going to see a much more of a supply of mortgage loans coming back into the market. Lenders more willing to lend, and demand is virtually non-existent right now. So to get that demand up, lenders are going to have to start reducing mortgage rates. And I think the natural direction of mortgage rates is going to be down in the in 2023. And a lot of, um, you know, I think. Uh, Freddie Mac's mortgage rate prediction was like 4.5% at the end of 2023. So I'm not alone in this one, but it does seem like a kind of bold prediction given where the mortgage market is right now. Now, all I can tell you, man, is I am very grateful to month after month just get to take a glance at that 3% 30-year fixed rate that we locked in on our house not all that long ago. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that we ever get back to that level, but but certainly it has been, those, those rates have gone up very quickly. It made, it made it prohibitive for a lot of buyers in the market, so it's very understandable real estate's having a tough time. But uh, yeah, those are those are five very interesting predictions, and you know what? I'm already looking forward to this time in 2023 where we can go back and review these and look to your bold prediction for 2024. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully, we do this again next year. Absolutely, it's always a pleasure, Matt. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season. Same to you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.